Uh, wow, that was kind of an incredible time of worship, wasn't it? I mean, I was kind of having a moment back there. They're like, you're on. I was like, well, I'm worshiping, so. Uh, man, some of the, my favorite songs are the most simple. You know, just the, here am I, all of me. And it's all for the, I mean, there's a simplicity to that, but it kind of encaptures everything, right? But the, wherever I am, just, just give me Jesus. And essentially, with everything that I'm going to say, and I think with everything the scriptures say, it's about that response, is it not? And so thanks for that, for that worship. Um, I love the beautiful simplicity of it, the elegance of that sort of statement. And I think what we're going to see is, as we dive into Luke 24 this morning, we're going to see the truth of, of how beautiful that is and the fact that Jesus calls us to that. And as I was back there, before we get to Luke 24, um, the, the song is so interesting uh, in many ways that uh, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And what that sets up in our minds is there is this temptation for the enemy. Just like when, when Satan showed up to Jesus, do you remember how he tempted him? At first he says, hey, you want to turn these stones into bread? But then he quickly turns to, I'll go ahead and give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down and worship me. And in that moment, Satan is playing on the idea that, that Jesus is called, he, he's God and man, but he's, he's a human there and he's called as the second Adam to, to rule over all things. If you remember the purpose of humanity from last night, one of those purposes is to rule over the earth. So he created uh, them male and female and blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And he also said, uh, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the creatures that are on the ground. And so he, he says, hey, Jesus, I know what you're here for. You're here to reclaim your creation. He says, I'll go ahead and give it to you now. Just, just don't go to the cross. And so Satan tempts him with, I'll go ahead and give you the world without the mission that God has for you. And Jesus' response shows something, and I think it shows what's reflected in Romans 8 as well. And that is, it's not that Jesus or God's going to take the world from you. You're going to inherit all things through him. And so if you choose all the world now apart from Jesus, you will gain nothing. But if you choose Jesus now, you will inherit all things. And here's how Paul puts it. He, in Romans 8 is one of the most beautiful chapters, I think, in all of Scripture. Even though I'm an Old Testament guy, I have to concede the fact that there is some good stuff in the New Testament. And if you aren't familiar with me, um, I have a very dry humor. Okay? And so uh, if you think something's funny, just laugh at it. And then if it's not meant to be a joke, I'll just tell you that wasn't a joke. But Romans 8 paints this beautiful picture of this new creation that we're going to inherit. And he talks about the, our suffering is not worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed in us. And talks about the, the liberation of all of creation from the bondage to decay that is a result of our sin. And all that stuff we looked at last night. And here's what he says in response. What then shall we say to these things? Romans 8 verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's mission is to make all things new and he is bent on that and he is unswervingly committed to that, who can possibly be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's there's a beauty to it. So the temptation is there's all these incredible things out there in the world that I can have and I can't have them all because I got to choose Jesus now. And the scriptures dive in and they say false. 
you choose Jesus now, you inherit all things in the fullness of their glory, without their brokenness, without dedicated sin, that beautiful new creation in Revelation 21 and 22. You gain that through Jesus and only through him. So I sat back there listening to when I am at work. (laughs) Give me Jesus. And if I'm honest, I'm kind of an emotional guy. I, I, I'm a softy. I know I kind of got this hard edge to me, maybe, but, but I'm a softy. I just started to cry. I said, no, what if we really captured that? What if we really saw all of life? What if we really saw this idea that when I'm at work doing whatever it is that I'm doing, whether that's accounting or finance or I'm at home with the kids or whatever it might be, I'm a teacher, I'm a janitor. If I said, this is for Jesus, how would the church transform the world? We really claim that idea, that God is making all things new, and he's called me to join in that, and everywhere I am is a part of his ministry to make all things new. And I understood that, and I lived that out, and every morning, when I rise, I just say, give me Jesus. When I go to work, just give me Jesus. When I'm at school, just give me Jesus. If we really captured that, I don't know what the effect would be in the world, that's up to God, but I know what the effect would be in the church. It would be the fullness of joy and hope in Christ. And I'm willing to bet I'm willing to bet that that would be compelling to a world that needs joy and hope right now. Well, that wasn't what I planned to say, but like I said, I had a, I had a moment. So you can go ahead and turn to Luke 24 now, and we'll see, I think, how this works. How, how does everything I'm saying, how does it flow within the biblical narrative? I mean, last night we talked about this huge bookends to Scripture, Genesis 1 to 3, Revelation 21 and 22. And it may have been overwhelming for you to think about, I don't know, just all of the Bible all at the same time. And it is, but I hope you clung to something. I hope you saw something new that was there. That God's always been on mission to make all things new. And he's created humanity to join him in that purpose. And now we see that through Jesus, he calls you to that same purpose in Christ. That it is possible to join him. It is possible for all of life to be ministry. And so before we dive into this text, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that, that your word is true. That your promises are true. Because of who you are. Because just like you spoke in creation, you will speak again in new creation. You speak to us now through your word. You speak to us now through your son, Jesus Christ. And so as we hear the words of life, we pray that we would cling to them with everything that we have. Because we believe, we ask that you would encourage us to strengthen the belief that if you have not spared your own son, that surely if we trust in him and trust in you, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, that you will also give us all things. So we ask to, to cast a vision for us this morning through your word that all of our lives, all, all, each individual life and then all of the life within our individual lives, everything that we do in the morning and when we go to work and at school and in the evening and when we're asleep and when we're awake and when we're doing whatever we're doing, all of it's a call to ministry to you because this is your world and you've entrusted it to us, at least a small slice. So we want to understand, God, how do we live for you? How do we join you on mission? So we take a a little step in that direction, understanding that this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So turn to Luke 24. We're going to be in uh, verse 13 uh, to start our time. And I want to remind you of uh, what we're doing here. 
So last time we talked about why is all of life ministry, because God's making all things new, he's making all things new, and he calls us to join it, then joining his mission, then all things are part of the ministry of God. And so tonight is how can it be, uh, how can all of life be ministry, and we're going to work through that in, from several different angles throughout the weekend on into Sunday, um, but here, uh, the first thing I say is we have to connect our stories to his story. And we're going to, we've seen this big story of God making all things new. So where do I fit into that? That's the next question. That's the question you have to answer. And so uh, here's the weekend's big idea. Uh, God calls, equips, and encourages us to pursue all of life as ministry and his mission to make all things new. And so this language is very intentional on my part. And so tonight, or this morning, not tonight, we'll also talk tonight, but this we're going to do this morning. Jesus calls us to pursue all of life as ministry and his mission to make all things new. So we're, we're taking a small step to kind of narrowing things down. Here's this big vision of all the scripture. And now all of that story is kind of funneling down into Jesus Christ. And if we connect ourselves to him and his story and understand how our stories fit within his mission, then we can take the next step in joining God and making all things new. So here's a question that I have for us. And this is the question I think that is particularly answered by Luke 24. What does it mean to understand the scriptures? What does it mean to understand the scriptures? I mean, you can, you can go to seminary and you can take hermeneutics classes and you can get 55 million different views of what it means to understand the scripture. Uh, what does it mean? You can get fourfold meaning. You can get a whole bunch of different stuff. Is it about the history? Is it about the literature? Is it about the theology? Is it about a combination of those things? Is it about the tropological? Understand. So there'll be all these different words. And I think what Luke 24 tells us in a more simplistic way is you don't understand the scriptures until you understand how you fit into the story. You don't understand the scriptures until you, how, how, until you know how you fit into the story. So now I'm going to try to show you this from Luke 24. So read with me Luke 24 starting in verse 13. That very day, what, what day is he talking about here in Luke 24? That very day is the day that Jesus is risen from the dead. Okay, so this is the end of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has done a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, he's been born. Uh, he's lived. He's died. And now he's been risen from the dead. And the same day that he is risen from the dead, he meets these two guys on a road. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Uh, you may have heard about uh, the story of the road to Emmaus. This is it about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened, everything about Jesus. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're sitting there talking about Jesus, and Jesus shows up walking alongside them. If you don't think Jesus has humor, then you haven't read this story. One of the reasons I'm okay with being funny is I think Jesus is funny. He can also be serious. I can be serious, but he's also funny. So while they were talking, instead of talking about Jesus and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're talking about Jesus. Jesus shows up. They have no idea this is Jesus. It'd be like if I showed up at this conference or this retreat, and you were all like, hey man, this Mark guy, I just don't know about him. Right? You've never really seen me. You don't know me. You have that picture in the thing, but I'm like, I'm really dolled up, and I'm with a beautiful family, and you're like, that guy surely can't be that guy. Right? She's like, I just don't know about this guy. I'm sitting there and be like, tell me more about this. Why you don't know about him? Right? I mean, this is, this is what's happening here in this text. I am not Jesus, but Jesus is with these two guys. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, so Jesus says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? You don't think Jesus is funny? 
Hey guys, what you talking about? Oh, Jesus, huh? <laughs> and they stood looking, still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus, you don't know what you did? <laughs> right? And he said to them, what things? What were you talking about? Did something happen around here? Did I rise from the dead? Was I crucified? Have I done miracles? Is that, is that what you're talking about? What things are you talking about? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Would you ever like to do a Bible study with Jesus? Right? Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, I'm, I'm a decent Old Testament teacher, I suppose, but I bet Jesus is better, right? And these two guys are sitting here with the guy to whom all the Old Testament points, and they have no idea it's him. And so he unpacks the scriptures. He opens up the scriptures for them and shows them everything about himself, starting with Moses and with the prophets. This is exactly what I was talking about last night. That this Old Testament is a story that runs into the New Testament and on into new creation. The Bible is one unified story. Now what we're finding is that one unified story starts big. It starts with all of creation and it slowly narrows down. It goes to Abraham and his family, and and Israel. And then they go into exile, and then there's one person who shows up, and the entire story, the entire hope for all of creation runs through one person, and his name is Jesus. Here's my understanding of this. He opens the scriptures. Let me see if this works. Oh, I need to point there. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if this is going to work very well, but here's a picture. Now, uh, I live in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, anybody ever been to Memphis? I grew up in Birmingham. Somebody said they've been to Birmingham, which is interesting, especially to watch Rutgers play football. Just a strange, strange world that we live in. But, so we have two people who have been to Memphis. Yes? Did you, did you drive over the Mississippi River? Okay. Well, the Mississippi River is huge. Okay, I just moved there, and I was like, I've got to see the Mississippi River. So uh, this is the western border. So that's Memphis, and the Mississippi River forms the western border of the city of Memphis, right? The western border of Tennessee. So on the westernmost part of the state of Tennessee, look at that thing. That thing is huge, right? It takes a solid couple minutes just to drive across it, and you can't even see all of it. See how it kind of branches out all over there? There's a, the bridge goes on for a long, long time until you get into Arkansas. And so I started thinking, what in the world, like, why is this thing so huge? Do you know where the Mississippi River starts? What's that? Minnesota. Minnesota. We have a hydrogeologist in the house. 
so here, Minnesota, it starts. Now, here's one way to think about the Mississippi, okay? See, it starts, see that blue line? That's the Mississippi. Okay, should I figure that out? So it starts way out there in Minnesota. It travels all the way down the United States. So here's one way to think about it. It's just this one kind of stream that goes for a long time, okay? Now, it's not as big up in Minnesota as it is in Mississippi, and here's why. There's more to the story. Here's another way to think about the Mississippi. See all these things feed into the Mississippi River? So there's the Mississippi right in the middle. Then you have the Missouri and the Ohio River especially that form. And, And above that is the upper Mississippi. There's Memphis. You see Memphis down there on the Mississippi River? And so all these major tributaries are feeding in to the river. And so it gets bigger and bigger as you go. There's yet another way to think about the Mississippi. It's probably not very clear, but those are all the, all the little tributaries that feed into the bigger tributaries that feed into the Mississippi River that eventually make it to the ocean. And I was looking at this and I thought, this, I mean, this is the, the, the story of creation. This is the story of creation as it funnels into Jesus. There are all these strands. We can think of it as just the Old Testament that runs right through Jesus. We can think of it as some big things, the law, the prophets, in the writings, right, the three groups of, of Old Testament literature, kind of those are the tributaries that feed in it and, and they funnel all through Jesus. Or you can think about it, every single strand of the Old Testament at some point connects to who Jesus is and his mission in the world. To where if you're the whatever river over here, like there's the Missouri and the Ohio and then there's all these, the, the Atchafalaya or something crazy like that, these small little tributaries over here, there's no way for you to get out into the ocean unless you connect to the Mississippi and you eventually will. When we think about the Old Testament story, the story of creation, it all funnels down. All these tiny tributaries funnel into bigger things that funnel into all through Jesus. And so when Jesus is walking them through the Old Testament, he's not saying, here I am in some random place in the law, and I jump forward, and somehow that makes me understand Jesus. He's saying, if you hop in one of these tributaries, no matter how far west or east you're going, and it connects to the Mississippi, you get an inner tube, you put it in there, you hop in it, it might take you a little while. But if you float along, you will eventually get to the Mississippi and you will eventually get to your destination, the ocean. And here, what he's doing is he's saying in the Old Testament, if you hop in what God is doing in the Old Testament, anywhere, and you you write it, there's a natural progression that leads to the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ now into the new covenant and the new creation. It's a beautiful picture of what the Old Testament is doing, is God doing it. In Christ. So all the purpose of humanity, the purpose of creation that we saw last night, it's all flowing through Jesus. Right? This is what he says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And yet, here's the thing. They don't understand the scriptures. And they don't see that it's Jesus in front of them. It's an incredible statement, is it not? Here they are standing with Jesus doing a Bible study. He tells him everything that's true, and yet it says that he interpreted the scriptures for him. He opened the scriptures for him, but they don't understand the text. They don't see that it's Jesus standing in front of them, and they don't understand the scriptures yet. It's not that this isn't a key step in the process. It's absolutely necessary. If I'm in some random tributary out here in the western United States that connects to the Mississippi, I'm not getting to the ocean unless I connect to the Mississippi. You understand what I'm saying? So it's an absolutely necessary step to connect to Jesus, but you still don't understand the scriptures if you can just say, hey, I see how this text connects to Jesus. You don't understand it yet. 
So let's move along in the story, because most of you don't believe me. Don't worry, I got you. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. They didn't do anything. They're like, oh, okay, I guess that was cool. Who is this random guy? Know it all. He acted as if, that's Jesus, he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us for it is toward evening, and the day is now far apart, or far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed them, and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, why did they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, but they didn't recognize him in the scriptures? Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave thanks. And they understood then, there was something about what God is doing, and the picture that was happening, they're like, he's doing this again, and his broken body has now been restored in the resurrection. And their eyes are open, and they see Jesus before him. And yet... They still don't understand the scriptures. This is an incredible statement that I am making. And you don't believe me right now. And that's fine because we're going to keep going and we're going to see it. You can understand the scriptures and that they all point to Jesus. You can even say, hey, there's Jesus at work over there. And you do not understand the scriptures. And here's my point. And I think we're going to see it at Luke. Because you do not understand the scriptures until you have connected your story to his story. It is not enough to come here at this retreat and say, I can repeat everything that Mark said that's worth repeating. So a couple sentences. <laughs> I can repeat it all. And I can say, look, look how Genesis connects to Revelation. I can see how it all funnels through Jesus. And if you go out and live in the world and you do not connect your story to that story, you have not understood the story of Scripture. You have not understood God's call on your life. You have not understood God's mission in the world. And it is this realization that drove me to start an organization, to leave the ministry I was with and start an organization to cause people to try to see this thing. Because here's what I realized. I'd been teaching the Bible for a long time and completely missed its purpose. I had people coming to me and say, Mark, what you're saying is kind of cool, I guess. I understand the Bible better, but I have no idea how that changes my life. And I was like, well, is that really a problem? I don't know. It's not how I was trained to teach the Bible. I'll tell you what it means. You kind of run with it. And then so I dove into Scripture and I'm looking at this text. And I'm like, but is it, don't I just point to Jesus? When I show them who he is and they see him, then hopefully something happens? No. I've got to help people connect it to their life. So here's the thing, and I'm going to say it again. You can understand that all of Scripture runs through Jesus. You can understand it all. Every single text, how it points, you can put it all together. You can even see where Jesus is at work, and yet you have not understood the Scriptures until you connect yourself to that story. And here's my proof. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Oh, wait, I have a slide, I think. Yeah, look, see? He opens the scriptures. And then he opens their eyes. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus appears again. This guy's wild. And said to them, Peace to you. 
But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I mean, pretty incredibly, right? Especially for these two that just saw Jesus. They were just walking with him. And then they understood the scriptures now, or they don't understand the scriptures yet, but they know how the story works. And then they see Jesus, and they're like, hey, he's risen. That's amazing. He shows up again, and they're like, is that a spirit? No, it's Jesus, man. He, just, he was just walking with you. He was just hanging out with you. Why don't, why don't you understand? Because they haven't connected themselves to him, I think. Also, I think if Jesus appeared right here, or if I suddenly appeared, and he was like, peace to you, you'd be like, whoa, who's that guy? Right? It's a little, little frightening. But I think also maybe they should have recognized him. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your ears? Isn't, isn't that amazing? What I want you to see partly in this text is everything that I'm trying to say about understanding the scriptures. But I also want you to see this. But it took me a long time in training to get to the point where I'm at, and maybe I'm still wrong, and that's okay. But Jesus is patient with these people. If you forget, he's already spent several years doing ministry with them. He told them while he was alive all these Old Testament texts that pointed to him and what he was gonna what was gonna happen, and it happened. And he appears with a couple of guys who know him pretty well on the road to Emmaus. And they don't recognize him. They don't understand the scriptures. He actually reveals himself to him, opens their eyes to see him through the breaking of the bread. He appears, to them short, he appears to them again shortly thereafter. And they still don't see who he is. And what I want you to see in Jesus' response is his kindness and his patience toward his people. He doesn't get angry with them. He just walks them through the story again. But something new appears. Why do doubts rise among you? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. See the scars on my body. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed for joy and were marveling, he disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them, further showing that he was really present, not not a spirit. He was feasting with them. Then he said to them, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, first thing that's new, just to make note of, is the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets before. Now he's added the Psalms which I think is representative of all the writings in the Old Testament, that chunk of scripture. And the Psalms must be fulfilled. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's at this point that Jesus opens their mind to understand the scriptures. You can know the whole story leads to Jesus. You can see him at work and not understand the scriptures. But now he opens their mind to understand the scriptures and I want you to see what's different about what he says. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. Jesus has said this many times in the gospels. Many times. But now he adds something. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
What is different about this thing that Jesus says? The thing that's different is he has opened the scriptures to them. He has opened their eyes to see them. But now what he does is he says, now here's what your response is to my story. And their response for the disciples here in the story is that they should preach that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now they understand the scriptures. It's not this distant story. It is something that they are directly connected to. Because of the mission of Jesus, they now have a ministry from him. And understanding of the scriptures now takes place. And so that's why I say to you, you can understand all that you want to about what the Bible says about it being a story and connecting it to Jesus. And you can even see him at work in other people. But unless you know how it connects to your life, how your ministry and all of life connects to Jesus' mission, then you have not yet understood the scriptures. This was a convicting moment for me as a teacher of the scriptures. And here's what I want you to see too. Go over to Acts. So what do they do? What do they do in the book of Acts? Acts 1 Verse 8, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus is talking to them again. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus finally leaves for good. He doesn't just, he's appearing and reappearing, but now he he ascends. And he's not coming back this time, at least anytime soon, because he's sending them out on mission. And do you see the echo of the words that he told them? That here you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The book of Acts is about the continuing mission of Jesus and the ministry of his disciples. Maybe something, you ever read the book of Acts before? It's a wild book, yes? Jesus does some wild things. The Holy Spirit does some, maybe some crazier things. How does the book of Acts begin? Whose Acts are these? Anybody have any thoughts? So Acts of the Apostles. Yes. Any, any other Acts? Acts of who? Whose Acts are these? Jesus. Maybe. The Spirit. Great. Any other? Whose Acts are these? I think Jesus ends up being the right answer. Uh, he's often the right answer. Uh, he's not always the right answer, however. How can that be the case? Well, uh, I was teaching the days of creation to my children. And uh, we were looking at it actually in parallel to the Gospel of John, and we'll see that in a second. But we're teaching the days of creation, and so uh, I have four kids. Three of them are extreme extroverts. And so they will look to answer a question even if they have no idea what the answer is. So they're question, yes, I have an answer. My kids have realized that Jesus is a pretty good answer to a lot of questions in the Bible. Okay? But it's not the answer to everything. And so uh, she was three at the time. Sarah is our third one. She's extremely introverted. So she just watches the chaos around, right? I think she enjoys it sometimes, but she's just watching the chaos around. And uh, I said, so, all right, what was created on day one? Day and I, great. Okay, what was created on day two? Sarah. Boom, I got this one. I got it. All right, Sarah, what was created on day two? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. 
Unfortunately, Sarah, no. <laughs> for you. Fortunately, yes, for us. Jesus is not created. So he's not, the, he's not the answer to every question in the Bible, but he is a good answer to most of them. So how is this the, Jesus of, the Acts of Jesus in Acts 1, verse 1? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote, wrote Acts and here he begins this second book, his two-volume work on Jesus. And there's the work of Jesus in his earthly ministry, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. But what he ascends, his work does not cease. It continues. And so Luke is saying here, I wrote to you that all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now Jesus is going to continue to work through the book of Acts. And so there's a book by Alan Thompson. It's called The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. And I think that's almost right. I'm going to go one more on him and say it's the acts of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. Because he did some things while he was risen, but now he's ascended. And this is the continuing work. And yet, what you see is Jesus working through his people. And so the mission that he gave them at the end of Luke, he now gives them again at the beginning of Acts. And he says, I'm going to be with you. These are my continuing works that are happening through you. And so I don't think that they understand the scriptures and neither do we unless we connect our ministry with his mission. And that's what this weekend is all about. And so here's what this looks like. If we were to bring this map back up. Oh, I need to point it over there. You look at this really blurry one. I like this one. If we were to flip this upside down, these are tributaries, but there's also distributaries that rivers have. Now, this one happens that most of it just kind of flows out in the ocean. But there are rivers that they kind of go and then they spread out and they branch out into a lot of different places. You're a distributary of the mission of Jesus. So if you were to flip this thing upside down, everything that flows into Jesus now flows out into the, to his people. And so the question is, how do you connect with the promises of God? How does the purpose of humanity to rule over the earth, how does the purpose of humanity to be fruitful and multiply, how does the purpose of humanity uh, to, to work the ground, how does that flow through Jesus and into you? What does that look like in your life? And so when we talk about all of life as ministry, that's what we're asking. How does the, the river that flows through Jesus now flow into his people? And that's what we're going to do in the workshop this afternoon. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the specifics of your life. And you're going to write them down. We're going to say, how in the world does this connect to the mission of God and the mission of Jesus and his people now? The book of Acts is very intentional about showing how the disciples fulfill this. I have this big chart. You know I like charts. I have this big chart. But it ends up confusing people more than it helps them because there's too much detail to it. So I just want to point out a couple of things in the book of Acts. And maybe you know about them, but I want to show you how they continue the mission of Jesus. Here's what this big chart shows. This big chart shows that the way that Luke has written the gospel, Luke, in the book of Acts, is that whenever Jesus is healing in the, in the book of Luke, he's, the disciples are healing in Acts in almost in the exact same order. When Jesus preaches and then talks about the the scriptures being fulfilled, so are the disciples, almost in the exact same order 
in the Gospel of Luke as it is in the book of Acts. Why would he write it that way? Because he's trying to show that the mission of Jesus continues in the ministry of disciples. They look like him. They're flowing from the same river, the mission of God that only flows through him. And there are a couple of instances that are so clear that you cannot miss them. Does anybody know who Stephen the martyr is in Acts 7? Yes. What, what, what is that story about? Somebody tell me about Acts 7. You also probably have a Bible with you. You could look at Acts 7. <laughs> I like to tell my students that it's not written on my forehead, but it is written on your text. Unfortunately, it's written in my heart, but we can't like, you know, open that up. What does Stephen do? Yes, Norm. Yeah, he tells them the story of the scriptures, right? This is what Peter does at Pentecost too. Like, hey, here's how you know that Jesus is real. I'm going to connect him to the Old Testament story. So he does it for them and they see it, but a lot of them don't believe. Some of them do, some of them don't, right? So Peter at Pentecost, he connects the Old Testament story through, through many different ways. A lot through the Psalms, which is why I think Luke adds that at the part, at the end part. We could talk a lot about interpreting the Psalms. But he connects to the Old Testament story. Stephen does the same thing. Connects it to the Old Testament story. And then what happens? So one, they're like Jesus because they connect it to the Old Testament story. Yes? It's what Jesus did. It's what the disciples are doing. There's something even clearer in Stephen's account. It said, then what happens And somebody grimaced? Doesn't necessarily end in the best way. Mm-hmm. What's that? Okay, so they think he's blaspheming, right? They think he's blaspheming because he sees the Son of Man standing, Right? in approval of what Stephen is saying. And they're like, yeah, this guy's blaspheming. And so what do they do to the blasphemer? They stone him, they kill him. What do they do to Jesus? They killed him, right? Crucified. And here's, here's the connection that's so clear. What does Stephen say as he's dying? Yeah, what verse are you looking at? Verse 60 in Acts 7. And 59. Hey, hey, yeah, we're backing on up. Look. So here's, here's what Stephen does. He walks through the scriptures, shows how this whole story is connected to Jesus. Now, they don't like what he says, so they kill him. And here's what Stephen says, starting in verse 59 of Acts 7. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What did Jesus cry out on the cross as he died? Into your hands I give my spirit. And then falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What did Jesus cry out when he was dying on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. And then I love the way that Acts 7 ends. And then he fell asleep. He's not, he's not taking a nap. He's not going to wake up in a couple hours and be like, wow, that was crazy. Is <laughs> that a weird dream? No, you got stoned, Stephen. Why does it say he fell asleep? Well, what happened to Jesus after he was crucified? He was buried. And then what happened? Pretty important part of the whole story. 
He woke up. He was resurrected from the dead, right? And so here, I think the reason it ends with he fell asleep is the anticipation for Stephen is if he was living like Jesus, connecting the Old Testament to Jesus' story, when he's being killed, he has the words of Jesus in his mouth. He has connected his ministry with the mission of Jesus. The same end that Jesus had is also for Stephen. Resurrection from the dead, inheriting the new creation. Give me Jesus and I'll get all things. Clear as day. Especially since the Gospel of Luke is the only one that records that he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, or into thy hands I give my spirit. Luke is intentionally trying to draw your attention to the fact that Stephen looks like Jesus. Now in Acts 13, this story of Acts focuses in on Paul. And it gets pretty crazy, I think, with parallels with Paul. Paul's entire life, I think, toward the end of it, is patterned after the trial the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's why. When Jesus goes to be crucified, he's first put on trial first by the Sadducees. When Paul faces trial and is accused of different things, he's first put on trial by the Sadducees. Then he faces three different Roman trials and leaders. Jesus faces three different trials. Then they both face, kind of a, you add that up, three plus one is four, a fifth trial. And for Jesus, that fifth trial is the cross. For Paul, that fifth trial is this crazy storm that happens in the sea, and he almost dies, and he should have died. It even says that it's a miracle of God that they lived, but it was his purpose that they lived through it. So though he should have died, he lived. And here's what happens. Remember at the end of Luke, when he's with the people on the road to Emmaus, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. You know what Paul does when he finds that he has lived through this trial in which he should have died? He takes bread, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. Because he is experiencing the resurrection life of Jesus. There is no mistaking that the reason that Luke has written Acts the way that he has is he wants to drive it into your minds. That the ministry of the disciples continues the mission of Jesus. He wants to drive into your mind. The only reason that that I can say that they have understood the scriptures now is not because they can simply talk about how it connects to Jesus. Not simply they can say that Jesus is at work over there. But they can show how he is at work within me and they now live it out. And so if you were to ask me, what does it mean to understand the scriptures, Mark? Then I would say you do not understand the scriptures until you know how your life connects to the mission of Jesus. And here, this scripture is intended to equip you for that purpose. And so my summary of this text in Luke is we have not understood the scriptures until we've understood how our stories fit with his story. Within this big idea of what we're talking about for this weekend, this is Jesus calling us to join him in our ministry to continue his mission to make all things new. Now, here's where we're going for the rest of the weekend. There's a workshop this afternoon that's going to take all these ideas and drive it home specifically for you. In particular, instead of asking what are the what do the scriptures say? We're asking this question. Who are you? Because what I have found in doing this ministry is even when people can grab hold of this, which is theoretical and hard to get, they have trouble connecting because they see that the scriptures say it. They see that Jesus is at work out there and they have no idea how to connect themselves to it because they don't know who they are. Not only do I see it in other people, that was the experience of myself. It was only a couple of years ago that I discovered who I really was.
And I'm not saying becoming a Christian. I'm talking about something else. And I want to walk you through that story and help you discover that perhaps for the first time. Who are you in Christ? And then tonight, we're going to look at 2 Timothy and this text about what the scriptures are, they're God-breathed and they're, what do they do? They equip you for every good work. I want to show how Paul, in writing to Timothy, how he unpacks how exactly that works so that when you read the scriptures, they can work for their intended purpose to connect you to the mission of Jesus, connect all of your life as ministry within the mission of Jesus. To put it in the imagery of our map here that I'm sure that you love, how do you hop in the Mississippi River? Where do you jump in? And how can you flow through it and into the ocean and the new creation, connecting yourself to the mission of Jesus? Let me pray for us, and then you guys can go to small groups. Father, we are grateful for your word. And we ask now that you would help us understand your scriptures, not just in what it says and connecting it to Jesus, absolutely essential and important, not just that, oh, look, we can see where you're at work in Christ outside of us, but fully understand, give us a fullness of understanding of the scriptures that allows us to connect who we are to what you are doing. Just like Jesus told his disciples, we ask that you would speak to us now as we go to our small groups and try to unpack some of these things. As we do a workshop later this afternoon to try to discover who we are and connect that to your mission. And as we look at your word again tonight, we pray that, that you would be at work because we do know that we can't do any of this on our own and we need you for it. And Father, when we are struggling with this and we don't know what else to do or say and we're trying to see how all this connects and we're praying to you and asking you to do it, I pray that we would fall back on the simplicity of some of the songs that we sang as prayers to you. Just give me Jesus. And Father, I don't, I don't know what else to say right now except here I am all of me, here I am, it's all for thee. So Father, send your spirit now to lead us into truth, to conform us more into the image of Christ so that we, as your people, as Graceway Presbyterian Church, might understand how as a church and how individuals, we are connected to your mission in New Jersey, in our families, in our work, just in our own hearts. Where are you calling us? Where are you sending us? Speak to us, please. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, if all the small group leaders could stand.